Confinuk enters the zone with Dustin Brown moving in. Brown shot, save, rebound, score! Kopitar in front of the goal as well as Kovalchuk. And the Kings with their top line have tied the game. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Through Doughty, a slap shot blocked. Doughty got it back. Turnaround bid to Foley, sneaks its way in! It's Jeff Carter in front of the goal, and the game is tied! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Kings went 1-1-1 over the last three games. Kings PA announcer Dave Joseph was kind enough to join me to talk about those games the next three games, and take a look around the rest of the league. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now for another look at the LA Kings, LA Kings PA announcer Dave Joseph. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm great, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, I want to talk about the last week in Kings hockey and uh, something that I said during one of the recent post-game podcasts, was that we have reached the point now where there's actually nothing to learn from any specific game that the Kings play. Uh, and I think nothing sums that up better than the last three games they played. And and I'll walk you through them, although I know you're familiar with it. They lose to the Ottawa Senators 4-1. to Then they defeat the Pittsburgh Penguins 5-2. to And then... Predictably, they go to overtime, in fact, a shootout, and lose to the Minnesota Wild 3-2. Uh, to two. They go 1-1-1 one, one, and one <laughs> over three games. Uh, nothing makes sense, and at some level, nothing matters. Um, should we just call it an episode and go on with, with our lives, Dave? Yeah, it was great talking to you, buddy. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you next time, Kings fans. I mean, wh- I mean what... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think I'm just being a little too negative by saying there's nothing to learn at this point? Well, I think there are things to learn. I, I think you're right, though, when you say, you know, over the last three games, what you can't make sense of which direction is up, right? I mean, you're playing an Ottawa team who you're battling for, for last place, essentially, in the league with. Yeah. Um, it should be a, a fairly even game. Uh, I, I don't want to come out and, and say... You, you should be able to beat Ottawa, but I, I wouldn't think you'd lose 4-1 to one to Ottawa. Um, so well, that if I'm not mistaken, spy. that was the game where all the quotes out of the locker room were, you know, this is an embarrassment, this is a, you know, this can't happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But, I mean, you could say that for pretty much any game this year. Mm-hmm. With, the exception, with the exception of the next game, which was the Pittsburgh game on a Saturday night, so, you know, if no one noticed, there were a ton of Penguin fans at Staples Center on Saturday night. Snoop Dogg was DJing. Uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of life in the building, I guess is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many would have thought that, that the game against Pittsburgh would have gone, strangely enough, to, just like the game against Ottawa. It didn't. It had a, a totally uh, opposite outcome and an opposite effect on this team, which was a surprise to me. The Saturday, Saturday night game against Ottawa showed me what this team is capable of. And I think that's the most frustrating part because you see a game like Ottawa and you see for many long stretches of that game, it seemed as though, you know, guys weren't maybe engaged and guys weren't, uh, I don't want to say taking it seriously, but guys weren't really putting in a, a solid effort. And then they come out Saturday night and it's like a completely different team. So 
I don't know what to make of the team. I don't know, you know, you say, are there questions? But yeah, there, there are a lot of questions. I don't know where to begin with the questions, though, because then you see an effort like against Minnesota where, where the Kings get outplayed in the first period of the game. And frankly, that game could have been eight or nine to one in favor of Minnesota if it's not for a, a great performance by Jonathan Quick, which we've seen how many times this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know what questions to ask at this point because, again, you see what the team is capable of in a game against Pittsburgh where they essentially shut Sidney Crosby down for the entire game and if Kenny Malkin down for most of the game. Uh, and then you see the performances against Ottawa and, and on the road against Minnesota against a team that had just played in Philadelphia the night before and got beat. I, I don't know what questions to ask at this point other than, you know, how much of this roster is going to be here come the start of the 2019-2020 season? I mean, what do you think, Jesse? Well, that's where I was kind of going with this is in, in saying there's nothing left to learn. Like, we've seen it time and time again in the however many games. We've played 45, 46 short games. We've seen this year where one night they'll look like world beaters and the other night they'll look like, as you said, they're not giving – at their full attention. Um, to me, I thought the overtime, every time I watch the Kings play three-on-three overtime now, is kind of a twist in, in the wound, because you see how good the individual players are, right? That first shift out is, what, is Kobitar, Brown, and Dowdy, I think. And you can see, even a guy like Dustin Brown, who's not maybe talked about in the same breath as guys like Kopitar and Dowdy, right? As far as just sheer individual skill. But even Dust, a guy like Dustin Brown, you know, you can see in the overtime, you go, right, this guy is an incredible hockey player. Simple things like protecting the puck or pivoting or making quick decisions or or shielding it with his body. Um, you know, heads up plays and you go, okay, these guys are good. <laughs> you know, this team actually has the talent. And obviously, you know, your top three players is not a, you know, an indication of how good you are from one through 23. But even the overtimes, you go, man, in the very same game as I'm watching some guys get blown out, I'm watching other guys dominate. And, you know, we've talked time and time again. You look at the minutes, you know, Luff, Clifford, and Thompson play, uh, I think, maybe less than 10 minutes each in that game. It's a game with 65 minutes played on the shootout. And then you have Brown taking a shootout shot and you you know you realize he hasn't even attempted one since I think 2015 and 16 and I don't think he's even made one since 2014-15 Kopitar played almost every minute of overtime it felt like and I even commented on Twitter like really is this one extra point (laughs) against Minnesota so valuable that we're you know that we're gonna burn an extra five minutes off of Kopitar's legs and, and his career and you know as you said it's it comes down to at this point you know, I said before, we don't know what the answers are because we don't know what the questions are. But now it's getting frustrating that we don't even know what the questions are. Um, and I don't think it's anybody's fault because at this point, I mean, we really are just treading water. I mean, I shouldn't say we. The franchise at this point is treading water. There's nothing that, there's nothing that anybody can do to fix it. I mean, that's the worst part of this is that... You know, I, I see on Twitter people are, you know, some people are blaming the coach, some people are blaming the GM, some people are blaming the players. You know, people are, you know, there's a, a tiny little cluster of Kings fans who want, who, who all want something different to happen right now. And the reality is, I don't think anything can. You got to have trading partners to make a trade. 
There's no sense in making a trade just for the sake of making a trade right now. You know, you want every trade at this point to to substantially improve your overall, you know, team effort. Um, we know that the coach is an interim coach. We don't know who the next coach is going to be. Um, we're about to enter the, you know, the long stretch of no games. So it's like there's nothing to do. There's no one to blame. <laughs> And on any given night, you have no idea what kind of game you're going to watch. And so for those of us who who pour ourselves into watching these games, it's it's frustrating. And I, and I feel that on behalf of the fan base. And I wish that I had some sort of light to shine on it or, or sense to make of it. But I just, I don't know that there is anything. Well, I think the light to shine on it right now is, uh, and this is being overly optimistic, but but hear me out. Okay, it, it's it's not going to get it's not going to get any worse. That's probably it, it true. <laughs> it it can't get any worse, Am right? I right. Well, only in the sense that we have a system that rewards losing. So yes, assuming something like let's say something catastrophic happened and somebody got you know really seriously injured. Or there was some sort of other stumbling block that that really prevented them from winning. Yes, then at the at worst case scenario, you are guaranteed uh, a really high draft pick, which we already are right. assuming it, we're going to get. So yes, yeah, in that sense, you're right. Yeah, right. And I'm not saying a ton of things. I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, a jerk about it. What I'm saying is there are there's a lot of and again I'm being overly optimistic here, but there's a lot of there are a lot of good things to look forward to in the future. Now, you, 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 as much as teams would like to compete for the Stanley Cup every season, it's just not possible sure. in this era. It's not possible to win a Stanley Cup every year. That's why only select teams have won it over the last several years, and typically teams don't repeat. It's so hard to win, as everybody knows. So it's now time to get back to the drawing board, so to speak, and, and make the deals that make sense. Like you were saying, you need teams that – want to be trading partners. You're not going to, and I heard this on the radio the other day, someone said, everyone's trying to get rid of their junk, and you don't want to be a team that picks up another team's junk. So you want to position yourself better moving forward, as the, and you want to position yourself so that in years to come, you're going to be better off. So you can take your time, because of the situation that you're in, because you're in last place or 30th place, you can kind of take your time, and you can build toward that future. You don't have to pull the trigger on any moves right at this second because you're in a position where you can kind of wait it out. So I think when I say things are, you know, can only get better, they can only get better. There are going to be some moves. There are going to be, I would imagine, a lot of trades, a lot of uh, pieces move before the trade deadline, pieces moved in the offseason, at the draft, what have you. Uh, and I think that's the bright spot moving forward. My question right now, as we're in the season, is, you know, like you said, the young kids and, and uh, Clifford playing, what, 10 minutes or under 10 minutes for the game. I'm just wondering at what point are we going to get to see those kids play and kind of show what they have to offer. And you, you and I have had this conversation before on the podcast, Jesse. It's we know what you're going to get from Kopitar and Carter and Dowdy and Brown, but let's see what, what these kids have to offer. Let's see if these kids are, you know, NHL caliber players. Let's see if these kids – can excel in overtime or a shootout or what have you. That's my question at this point is when do we get to see these kids display what they're capable of displaying? And that's, 
That's my concern at this point of the season. Where do we go from here? What does this organization have for us? What does it hold in the future with these kids that we've had in the pipeline and are now getting to see NHL action? Yeah. So (laughs) I appreciate the attempt at optimism. Unfortunately, um, I don't know if I can join you there. Uh, So this is what I said on the last post-game episode. Uh, We had Dr. Hockey on, uh, Jack Jablonski and I were talking about this. and, And I think you can probably remember this maybe about nine years ago. Um, the Kings had Brian Boyle, Teddy Purcell, Matt Molson, uh, to go along with Kopitar and Brown and Patrick O'Sullivan, who ultimately got moved. And uh, I think Alexander Frolov might've still been around. I think Camilleri. Derek Armstrong. Still... <laughs> Derek, that's right. Derek Armstrong. But I mean, there were, the, the organization seemed to be flush with young players. And we fast forward and most of them moved on pretty unceremoniously. And, you know, Brian Boyle had a nice career. Purcell had a nice career. Molson had a nice career. But realistically speaking, none of them were important pieces, let's say, um, to any franchise's major success and and I think and I don't mean to say that to to you know put them down I think that's true of most players I think that's true of most people in the world right (laughs) most of us aren't significant pieces of any kind of significant success we just sort of go around and and we do our jobs and we live our lives but the problem is I think that that I don't want to speak for anybody else but I think I may have overestimated the importance of guys like Luff and Walker and Wagner and uh, Rempel and Brickley, et cetera, et cetera, to this franchise. Maybe even a guy like Cal Peterson. I have no idea. But I think because this season got off to such a rotten start and because we were so desperate to look for uh, positive things to, you know, get us through <laughs> through the season, I, I started thinking, well, what if I was Dean Lombardi, which I, I recognize the absurdity of it on <laughs> On the face of it. But I started thinking if I was going to make my my own little spreadsheets the way he used to do, you know, where he'd fill in the boxes every year and, you know, and he'd get up there in front of the season ticket holders and he'd have his, his sheets and his boxes and his fill-ins and his bridge players and his gap fillers and everything. And I just thought, like, if I'm being truly honest with myself, am I comfortable putting any player currently in the organization into a into a, a spot? two or three seasons down the road. And other than Dowdy and probably Kopitar, I'm not. And some of that has to do with age. Some of that has to do with contract length. Some of that has to do with the fact that I know the organization is going to go through a lot of turnover. But a lot of it also has to do with, I have no idea how good some of these young players are, but the reality is this is a last place team for better, you know, more or less. And if these guys can't make a compelling argument that they deserve more than 10 minutes a game, I know it's very easy to point the finger at the coaching staff and and the front office and say, well, they don't know what they're doing and they're not giving these guys a chance and they're servicing the vets or they're, you know, trying to increase trade value or blah, 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 blah. But I mean, Dustin Brown came into this league at 18 and got a spot. And Drew Doughty came into this league at 18 and got a spot. And Andre Kopitar came in, he chose to wait a year, he came in at 19 you know, he scored an amazing goal. He scored two goals in his first game, right? Like the kinds of players that we 
want to get excited for are not the guys that are battling to get more than 10 minutes a night on the fourth, third, or second line. And that's not to say that they won't be useful. It's not to say that they won't have a role. It's not to say that we shouldn't take pleasure in watching their careers grow. I'm just... I've just sort of reached this weird, <laughs> neutral, gray point in the season where, where, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to next season more than I am what happens in this season, I guess. And that's, I guess I'm just processing that, that reality. Well, I, I think you make a good point here. I would counter that by saying this. Uh, these players, the, the Matt Luffs, the uh, Austin Wagners, the mm-hmm. Sean Walkers, the Daniel Brickleys, these are not your Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Drew Doughty's. Right. These aren't your 11th pick overall, second pick overall. You know what I mean? They're, these, are, these are either late-round picks, for the most part, or free agents mm-hmm. who weren't signed by other teams, right. who were who were maybe cast off or didn't get a shot somewhere, somewhere else, uh, and were given a shot by this organization. And kudos to the organization, and kudos to GM Rob Blake for taking a chance on these guys and trying to, trying to you know, add some more depth to the franchise, both here and in Ontario. Um, I think when you look at those players, what I mean is when I say, you know, now's the time to see what they have if they are NHL-caliber players, I think the more ice time they get, the more opportunities they get, the more we realize either A, they are bona fide NHL players, they are third, fourth line players, maybe they're a first or second line player in, in some instances, and maybe not, or maybe they're, we find out that they're not NHL caliber players, maybe they're career American League players, maybe you know, they're, they're the type of guy that bounces around and they're a journeyman in the NHL going from team to team, all uh, uh, Brendan Leipzig, so to speak. We don't know. And I think those are the biggest questions at this point is where do they fit in? Sure, you've got your core players on this team that are probably going to be here for years to come. But there's only a handful of guys uh, that you can mention in that breath. And the rest of the guys, uh, you know, could be trade bait. They could be uh, at the end of their careers, some of them. They could be off to other places. We don't know. I think those are the questions. I'm not, I'm not penciling in, you know, th- these guys who are competing at 10 minutes a night and saying, Oh, that he's going to be a second line player. He's going to be a first line player. What I'm saying is, right. let's see where they fit and then analyze from there. Are they a piece of the puzzle that's going to stay in Los Angeles? That's going to be here for a while that we can that we can see on the second, third, fourth line, or are they a piece that's going to be packaged with someone else and maybe moved to a different team down the line? I don't have the answers to those questions either. I think we need the rest of the season to play out, at least until the trade deadline, and then into the off season to figure out where these players will fit in. I mean, I agree with you that that I would prefer to see them get minutes. I I just, you know, the what the trade deadline is is looming, and and you know you hear all these other people talk about some moves they expect will be made by the trade deadline. Some moves they expect will happen during the summer, you know, closer to the draft, etc. And it's and again, I'm I guess I'm just sort of tapping into that that fan part of my brain that wants something to read about, that wants something to talk about, that wants something interesting other than going one, one and one 
where you lose <laughs> you lose the game against the bad team, you win the game against the cup contender, and you know you push against the team that everybody always expect. I mean, there were some exciting moments in that Minnesota <laughs> overtime, but generally speaking, when the Wild and the Kings play together, it's not a tremendously um, exciting time. And I know that game meant more for the Wild than it did for the Kings, but just looking at the standings, you know. There's a couple teams that are nipping at Minnesota's heels, but if Minnesota winds up losing a playoff spot to Edmonton, Vancouver, or Anaheim, um, <laughs> they've got they've got almost more trouble than the Kings do. Um, I want to shift away from the Kings real quick, though, Dave. I want to I want to talk industry talk with you, if I could. Sure, because something happened over the last week that got a lot of eyebrows raised and i think i probably feel differently than most people do about it but you have been uh a member of the media you have gone into the locker room you know hand, notebook in hand looking for quotes but you've also been on the other side of the um of the fence working for a franchise you know observing those people who come into the locker room somebody asked randy carlisle if he was worried for his job um and he called them a jerk and stormed off um, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. <laughs> what do you make of that whole interaction? Um, I don't think he's necessarily wrong either in his reaction. That being said, I don't, I think the question needs to be asked. But does it need to be asked on that of, side of him? Things? Like, isn't that a question you asked the GM? Um, well, why not ask the person who's responsible for his for his performance or so for his team's performance? So I'm going to be a little bit of a of a, I guess a snowflake, for lack of a better word here. Sure. Um, sure. Randy Carlyle's on a, a a grown man. Like he is, a, he's a guy with a long resume who should be never mind that he should be treated with respect because of the things he's accomplished. Just the fact that he's, you know, an adult with a family and feelings and he's going through a rough time. I'm curious what the possible answer he could have given that would have really fleshed out that or any story because we know his job's on the line. Right, everybody understands that NHL coaches have the shortest shelf life of any professional coach, and professional coaches in you know professional athletics have a short career life to begin with. So, I mean, if you lose however many games in a row it is, and you look at their you know their overall numbers, their you know minus thirty goal differential, and you know they've finished high in the in the division every year, and now they're out of a playoff spot, like we know his job's on the line. We understand that this is a reality that he might get fired. And we all know that he was brought back from a team that he was fired from a few seasons before. So, I mean, you know, I happen to know the reporter who asked the question and I, you know, I think he does a good job and I, and I defer to his judgment. And this is why I say, I think I'm in the minority on this one. I just feel like these, these articles that, that are written after every game or once a week or once a month or whatever by some of these writers, it's not the great American novel. It's not, you know, the old man in the sea or Moby Dick. Like we all watch the games. We all know what's happening. The, the, you know, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Reddit, you know, we have 
the NHL network. Like, so you're kind of asking <laughs> another human being like, Hey, things aren't going well, rather than comment on why you don't think they're going well or what you think might be the solution to fixing it. I'm just going to ask, you know, things aren't going well. Are you worried you're going to lose your job? Like, what is the, what is the possible answer to that question that, that makes the article that much more compelling or that much more insightful for me as a, I mean, I'm not a Ducks fan, but were I a Ducks fan, what am I getting out of the sort of humiliation of Randy Carlyle and why, because I see a lot of reporters leap to his defense. And, and this is why I wanted to ask you, because like I said, you've been on both fences or both sides of the fence. But like, why are, why are reporters so expectant of these people to like debase themselves? <laughs> like, I mean, you, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just, I well, found the whole thing well, sort here's of fascinating. The to, here's the answer to the question. Yeah, all right. The, the answer to the question is there's one. There, there's a couple ways to handle it. Yeah. My answer to the question would have been, of course I am. I mean, we, we've lost 12 games in a row. Mm-hmm. Of course I'm worried. Anybody in my position would be worried. This team has to play better. I'm responsible for this team, and if the team doesn't get it done on the ice, ultimately I'm I'm the one at fault, and and we'll pay the the ultimate price. Is that not the answer to the question? Yeah, it is. But so I mean, I guess my my point is, we all know that that's the answer to the question. But doesn't the question need to be asked? Does it though? Like, I mean, I guess that's the part I'm struggling with. Is like, I you know, when John Stevens got fired. Uh, it didn't catch me by surprise, right? Because I'd heard right. people talking about it for months, and so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just not sure. And and I have this fight with a lot of the types of questions that get asked in these scrums, and I and I often wonder about it. Like, if you know the answer to the question, and if the question is kind of eh, personal, is not the right word. But like I said, it's kind of humiliating. And and if I know the answer already, I just feel like it 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 could be on the reporter it to goes go without saying. To, well, to go and ask the GM. Like if you want to have that conversation, I would say contact somebody higher up in the organization and say, should so and so be worried for their job? And one of the one of the defenses I saw of the question, and it gave me pause, was if the person doesn't ask Carlisle that question, right? If nobody ever asks him, are you worried about your job? then are they somehow um, being derelict in their duty, right? Like, if nobody ever asks him that, have they somehow, you know, abandoned their post as a, you know, as a speaker well, of right. truth and to now power? Isn't it, now, now, isn't, now isn't the argument that you're almost talking behind that person's back rather than not trying to be confrontational, but, right. hey, the obvious is you've lost 12 games in a row. Are you concerned about your job? It is a personal question, but getting, getting, uh, being in that position, being in the limelight, making the money that players and coaches make, is that a question that should be expected to be asked? I would think so. If this was, if this was happening in uh, Toronto, mm-hmm. if this was happening in Montreal, if this was happening in Vancouver, don't you think that question would be asked right away? It would have been asked (laughs) a million times earlier by a million different people. Exactly. So, so what is the difference here? Because 
because there are fewer reporters, because there isn't the media coverage that there is in other places. I mean, this would be talked about every single day on all the talk shows, on all the TV shows, on all the radio programs, on NHL Network, you name it. Uh, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, it's, it's a question that, that it's an awkward question. It's an uncomfortable question. But I don't think a reporter is doing his or her duty if that question is not asked at some point. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Yeah. If, if, you go into the, if you go into the L.A. Kings locker room, uh, or any team that's struggling for that matter, if yeah. you go into Chicago's locker room, or, or if you go into Edmonton's locker room, or whoever it is, but let's just say it's L.A. at this point, and you say, and you say to one of the players, um, so Tyler Toffoli, there have been rumors about you getting traded. What do you think about that? Is that a, is that a bad question? Um, because you can't fire, you can't fire a player, right? You can't, you can't say, Oh, you're going to get fired. What, what's your response to, um, you know, you've been playing not up to standards or not how you like to be playing. So what's your, what's your response to that? Like people are talking about you being traded. What you wouldn't ask, you wouldn't ask a player about possibly being reported in, in some, uh, you know, some trade reports. Well, again, it's, it's the same thing. It's yeah, the same thing. yeah, and and I think I have kind of the same answer, which is, you know, I'm not sure what the overall. <clears throat> like, I know why. I know, I know that we want to know those things, right? Like, we're all right. we're all just ready to consume any piece of information that leaks out of these locker rooms because we love it, and we care about it, and we follow it, and it matters to us. But I'm not sure if my understanding of the game or of my life or of my, you know, purchasing decisions are influenced by things like knowing how players feel that they might get traded or knowing that coaches might be worried about their own job. Like I get that we like it and I get that we have an entire, you know, branch of the media devoted to following these things. But I don't know that that necessarily makes it. Um, I don't want to use the word right because that's too that's too important a word. <laughs> but I mean, I don't think I don't think that that makes those questions important in the grand scheme of things. And so I get that mm-hmm. that's just the way the world works, and and we've come to expect it. And I think you're right as far as you know. He, they 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 gets the paychecks and they wears the hat and <laughs> and they you know and they get the limelight and the cost of that is yeah every now and then a guy 30 years younger than you is going to come up to you shove a mic in your face and say you worried you're going to get fired boss you know <laughs> like you know if that's the worst thing that ever happens to Randy Carlisle he'll have lived a wonderful life um but i just always wonder in these moments how i would react if i were in that situation and i promise you it wouldn't be good you know, if you caught me, if I had just done a really bad episode of the podcast and I had flubbed it all over the place and I knew that it stunk and, you know, and I had done 14 or 15 episodes in a row that I knew were just <laughs> dreadful and somebody came up to me and said, man, what are you going to do when the season's over? Because they're obviously not bringing you back. Um, yeah, I might, I might, uh, I might snap at them. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't expect. I understand. Sir, good. Sorry to interrupt. I, I understand that response, and and any any normal sane person would probably have that similar response, especially if it's in a post game press conference type situation, mm-hmm. and your team had just lost again, and there was a subpar effort, or you know the results obviously weren't there the way you expected. Yeah, I think anyone in their right mind would have that that reaction. Uh, when cooler heads prevail, as they often do with some time maybe 
Uh, one might make the argument that you would say the answer would be, yeah, of course I'm concerned. You know, and the, and the GM has come out and said, we're not making a coaching change. So that's great. That, that's, that looks good for me. However, my team still has to play well, or of course I'm concerned that there's going to be a coaching change. And, and yes, I'm concerned about my job. So that being said, I need to find a way to make this team play better. I think that would be, that would be my answer. Now, is that the right answer? I don't know. Uh, but I think anyone in that situation would, would say something similar to that effect is the team is struggling. I'm the head coach. I'm responsible. So at some point uh, we need to start playing better or yes, obviously I'm, I'm probably going to be looking for another job. I, I just think if you're a reporter, the question has to be asked. If you're a coach, you probably have to see that question coming. And I don't blame Randy Carlisle for, for that answer at all. I don't blame him. I just think if, if, if it's a different situation, if it's, you know, uh, not post game, if it's, you know, like, like I said, cooler heads prevail, you probably might have a little different answer than, than what he said. The heat of the moment, it's always a tough thing. It's like, you know, you lose an overtime game or you lose a playoff game, you go into the locker room and you try to talk to a player and you try to have it make sense of what just happened. And there, and the frustration is still there. You can still see the steam coming from their heads oftentimes, both literally and physically. And you say, well, if this was a day from now and I asked him the same question, he's probably going to have a different response. I think that's the same in, in this situation. It, if cooler heads would prevail, you'd probably have a different response. But I, I still think the question needs to be asked. It needs to be asked of him. It needs to be asked of the GM. But the GM has already come out and said, we're, we're not making a coaching change. This is on the players. Well, and how many times – I mean, this is the other part of it for me. How but many, you can't fire the players. No, but how, many, players. but how many times has a GM or an AD, you know, if we're talking about collegiate sports, um, how many times has somebody come out and said, Coach X – has nothing to worry about. We give him our full. What's the phrase they always use? Uh, full support or whatever, or, or, or we have full confidence in him or whatever. And then like everybody right. rolls their eyes right. and looks at each other and goes, "That dude's getting fired like tomorrow." You know, like that's the kiss of death <laughs> when the GM comes out and says, "We have full confidence in Coach X. He's not getting fired." And blah 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 blah. So I mean, even when the question is asked, and even when a statement is given. The conversation is still happening, right? Like, people are still thinking to themselves, yeah, right. I mean, I don't think Randy Carlisle's job isn't in danger just because um, Murray said it wasn't. Um, I don't believe that at all. I mean, that's, like, you know, I've watched hockey for more than two years. I know when a coach's job is on the line. Um, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I heard somebody say that they felt that both parties were wrong, that the question is a perfectly legitimate question. Maybe it could have been asked in a different place or time or, or something like that. And that, you know, his answer was understandable, but that, you know, everything you said, right, which is that he should have seen it coming. It's part of the job and that there is a very simple, direct answer that he could have given. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, I guess it's just, you know, people being people and none of us are perfect. So these moments um, happen. But I, I just thought it'd be interesting to get your perspective, because, like I said, um, very few people. Um, have been on both sides of that fence. Um, let's talk about the week coming up because it's three games, <laughs> three games that could tell us a lot or not very much, Dave. And then after those three games, <laughs> after those three games, we go into the two week break um, for the all-star break. And then the Kings have the bye week So first up is Dallas on Thursday, then Colorado on Saturday, and then St. Louis on one. Let's start in Dallas. Talk about, media stories what do you think about the owners 
or I guess it wasn't the owner, it was what, the CEO of the Dallas Stars calling out his two best players for being his two best players? <laughs> um, yeah, that was interesting to me. Uh-huh. Uh, you don't see you don't see that happen very often, but again, we're talking um, we're talking heat of the moment. We're talking uh, obviously frustration has set in. Um, for I believe it was Mr. Lights who made the comments. Um, I, I, I get where he's coming from. I'm just surprised to see that happen in the media the way that it did. I I would think in a situation like that, uh, you would have an individual such as that go, maybe go to his players or have a meeting with the coaching staff and his players and say, you know, we need more out of you. We're expecting more out of you. Uh, for, for them to be called out in the media was a little bit of a shock. But that being said, you look at the two players who were mentioned and, and they are maybe underperforming by a lot of standards and they are getting paid a lot of money by that franchise. So you can see where the frustration is kind of uh, is setting in and why it would be setting in. Um, you know, Dallas is on the cusp of, of making the playoffs or missing the playoffs. They're right there. And, I, you know, it, it's a, it, it, maybe, it's, maybe it's the wake-up call that those two players need. Because Dallas is another one of those markets where maybe some of those things go unnoticed a little bit or they're under the radar. Right. Whereas if they were Dallas Cowboys football, it wouldn't be like that. Right. But it's a lot like here in Los Angeles and Anaheim where you, know, you don't have the media coverage because you know, Cowboys are getting coverage, you know, football's getting coverage for that matter. Um, and maybe that's why those comments were made to kind of stir things up in the media. It was all over the press. It was all over the, the radio, satellite radio, TV um, maybe that's why he did it. Maybe he did it to shake it up, shake things up a little bit. I don't know, but it's going to be interesting when the Kings uh, go into Dallas to see, you know, the that matchup with Dallas fighting for that playoff position. And the same thing with Colorado coming up on Saturday. They're in the similar similar situation, same number of points. <laughs> same, much. yeah. I was just going to uh, say teams, same number of points. Right. I mean, it, those teams those teams are right on the cusp, and they could go either way. A loss here, a loss there. What Dallas has lost three in a row. Colorado's had some hard times recently too. I don't know. It's it's it just seems like Dallas every year. Uh, every year there's this this build up and and oh we've got you know this player on defense is having a great year and we've got better goaltending this year with Ben Bishop and we've got these star players and Dallas never seems to be able to put it together um, for whatever reason that is not not knocking Dallas just they they never are able to put it together. So I'm anxious to see how that game goes. New new coach this year. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. But but certainly a, a, a flame should have been lit under the bottoms of those two top players on that team. So we'll see what, what happens. I feel like what you just said about Dallas could be said about the central con- or division as a whole. Like every year, I feel like for the last three or four years, we've heard, oh, central division, man. That's a grinder. There's not a bad team in there, man. I feel bad for anyone who has right, to go right. there. We look at the schedule. The Kings just played Minnesota. Now they play Dallas. They play Colorado. They play St. Louis. Four teams in the Central. And yeah, Dallas and Minnesota are presently in playoff spots. But I mean, Colorado, Dallas, and Minnesota are all within a point. Um, because the Pacific Division is so down this year, because Edmonton and Vancouver and Anaheim are struggling and because Arizona failed to deliver on the promise of last season. And obviously we know what's happening with the Kings. Yes. Dallas, Minnesota and Colorado are in the playoffs and at least two, probably all three of them will make it. But I mean, Dallas and Minnesota are carrying negative goal differentials and Colorado 
obviously has that one top line. But, I mean, are you scared of any of those teams? No, I would say I'm probably, I would be more scared of Colorado than any of those teams. Right, because they've got um, three guys the, instead of two. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Essentially, yes. Essentially, yeah. yes. And, and, it se- and it seems that Colorado is capable of scoring more goals. Mm-hmm. They have more of an upside on offense than maybe some of the other teams. Minnesota, known for their defense. Dallas struggling to score goals, uh, but giving up fewer goals. Colorado has this kind of new NHL mentality, it seems like, and they are on board with score, score, score as much as possible, right? They have one of the highest goal production in the, in the Western Conference. So I'd be more concerned with Colorado. That being said, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be that concerned with any of the three teams you mentioned. So, I mean, is that – this is one of the things that I've been sort of mulling in my mind all season long – you know, we talk about this new league where speed is, you know, speed and youth, speed and youth, speed and youth, speed and youth. And then I'm looking at the standings and I'm going, all right, so Columbus is good. Washington's good. The Islanders are shrug, question mark. But Tampa Bay is obviously dynamite. Uh, Nashville and Winnipeg are obviously dynamite. San Jose and Vegas are really good. Calgary has finally seemed to have sorted it out. But after that, man, every team's got some kind of flaw. And even Columbus, Washington, and the Islanders, I would leave, I would put put on that list as having flaws. And you know, you, you look at uh, goal differential shouldn't be the be all and end all of everything, but it's only six teams in the Western Conference that are carrying positive goal differentials. Um Winnipeg, Nashville, Colorado. And like you said, a lot of that is the fact that Colorado has that top line that can just flat out score. But I mean, is this really the future? Like, is this the parity that the league wants and that we should expect where every team has two or three guys and you know what to worry about and the rest of the team is sort of either shows up or they don't. And then you have a handful of teams like Tampa or Nashville or, you know, or or Vegas or San Jose where you can go. Okay, right. They've got they've got five or six guys that maybe should be all stars, whereas everybody else has maybe one, maybe two. Um, but I mean, there's very few teams that I can think of that don't even have one guy. Like maybe Arizona. I couldn't tell you who I think Arizona's best player. I mean, it's all Ekman Larson. But as far as forwards go, I couldn't tell you who I think Arizona's best forward is. Um. But other than that, I think I Montreal, Montreal. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Okay, I yeah, I that's right. I probably Carolina. Well, well, I mean Carolina. I guess I would say Justin Williams, but that's absurd, right? He can't be their best for Sebastian Ajo, I guess, in Carolina. Right, right. Um, Right, But you're right about Montreal. I don't even think I could tell you one person other than Carey Price and Shea Weber (laughs) that's even still on. Well, don't you? But don't you think this? Don't you think this is all a product of? today's nhl today's salary cap nhl i mean you have a player a player or two or three who you can keep and you can pay the big money over a few years but that being said that player is is may not be able to keep up that production over there are there are players who are who are not the norm in that situation like an alex ovechkin you know he's going to be there every year there's you know a kucherov in tampa bay there's uh you know dowdy with la there there are guys like that there are franchise players that step up and they're going to be good every single year. Uh, Austin Matthews in Toronto, now Tavares in Toronto. 
Um, but I think that's, that's a product of, of today's salary cap NHL where you're going to only have one or two, or maybe if you're lucky, three guys that really stand out for your team that you can really count on or that are going to come to the forefront every single season. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? That's just kind of a product of today's game. Yeah. And if you're lucky like Tampa Bay, if you're lucky like Tampa Bay, you can, you've got several guys who, who you've got a few superstar players and then you've got several guys that are kind of stepping up and playing bigger roles. So they get more notoriety, they get more play, they get more publicity. So they kind of come to the forefront a little bit. But for the most part, you've got one or two guys on every team that stand out and then the rest are just kind of there. Yeah, I'm just not sure that that's fun. Um, I would agree with that. Agree <laughs> I mean, with that. there's, there's, I, I think that that we get in into a problem of of looking to other sports to sort of compare what works and what doesn't work. And and in football, I think it's perfectly fine to have a different team every year able to sort of leapfrog up the standings and you go oh the carolina panthers is it the carolina panthers i don't, I don't watch football yeah um, carolina panthers but, but you can say like whoa you know the indianapolis colts they looked like a powerhouse then they were dead but now they're back and oh you know the green bay packers they were dynamite but now they fired their coach and who knows but oh they'll be just fine next year you know other than the patriots right every year it's sort of a toss up who's going to be good who's going to be bad and not every team plays each other, and everybody basically plays all the games on the same day. We know there's gambling, we know there's fantasy, so, you know, and the sport is sort of designed for the television viewer at this point. So even if, you know, LA fans didn't have a team for whatever, 20 years, you still watch every other sport, or, or team rather, and you can, you know, you can have fans of the Dallas Cowboys spread out all over the country and you can have people who really like one player, you know, and, and, you know, or you hate the Patriots. Everybody hates the Patriots when it's, when it's baseball or basketball or hockey and you play more than 16 games and the games are spread out on different nights and, you know, you get these storylines that build season after season. I'm just not sure how fun it is and maybe i'm wrong right like maybe this is just a generational thing and and the young kids today don't mind it at all but i'm not super geeked about a league where there's a there's 15 teams like the vancouver canucks where you go well if peterson's uh healthy then then they're fine is it peterson i always forget how to, um yeah peterson yep peterson yep. yeah but like you know it, it's if if there's 10 to 15 teams where it's all sort of down to one one guy or you know take a look at the carolina hurricanes right with their post game celebrations and you know there's some people who love it and some people who hate it and all i can do is look at the standings and go well they're 22 19 and 5 <clears throat> and they're 7 points out of a playoff spot so i don't really care what they do after the game like right the celebration right. that they do after the game takes 30 seconds and they've only done it well, I don't know how many of those wins came at home. Uh, 13 of them. So they've only done it 13 times. <laughs> so why do I care? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the season's 82 games long and it takes up six or seven months out of the year. We're talking about less than 20 minutes worth of entertainment. Um, I, I don't know. Or, or you get stuff like Gritty, right? These stories where, you know, Philadelphia's uh, not in last place. They're one point out of last place. But their mascot got lampooned on late night talk shows. So I'm supposed to feel good about it. Cause I'm a hockey fan. Like I'd way rather have 
two or three teams that are really good that have been competing year after year. Now, you know, I I alluded to this earlier in the season um, during one of my intermission segments saying maybe, you know, it seems to me that the league is is a, a cycle of decades dominated by two or three teams. And then there's like a little three or four year window where it's anybody's game. And then it takes a while for the next cluster of teams to sort themselves out. So maybe we're on the doorstep of a decade dominated by Columbus, Tampa, Winnipeg, and, and you know, Vegas or something like that. In which case, five years from now, I'll, I'll shut up and I'll be happy that the same teams are there year <laughs> after year after year. Um, I don't know. I'm just not sure that I'm on board. I don't think I like parody, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> you would rather have the Detroit Red Wings domination of the, what, 90s or 2000s? Yeah, well, how, how, do you remember the playoffs Pittsburgh in the late Penguins 90s? of this decade. But do you remember the playoffs? The playoffs, Dave, do you remember it was, whether it was Dallas, Colorado, or Detroit, you knew that you were going to get two rounds of of yeah. murder and mayhem and it was going to be a bloodbath but it was yeah. also going to be beautiful there was also going to be beautiful hockey right because you had madonna and shanahan and eiserman and sackick and forsberg and you know and the russians when they were when they were a unit and you know even guys like adam foot um and then and then whoever would come out of that would go on to the stanley cup final and so the stanley cup final was always great um i don't know i i I I guess I'm just maybe I'm just being nostalgic, which I usually poo poo. So I, I don't know. <laughs> so you want the Islanders of the '80s? That's what you want. You want the Red Wings of the the '90s? Isn't it more fun that way? Like if um, if, you, if your team's not going to win it, wouldn't you rather watch historical dynastic clashes rather than like, oh, this year it's Carolina's turn. Oh, this year it's Calgary's turn. Oh, this year it's Anaheim's turn. Oh, this year, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I never really thought about it like that, but uh, yeah, no, I like that. I like when a team, when a team takes control, when a team, you know, keep in mind when the Kings were winning in 2012 and 2014 in the conference final in 2013, it was everyone saying this team is going to be here for a while. This team is going to be tough <laughs> to contend with for the right. next three, four five years. Yeah. And, and, but that, but that's the way it was looking at the time, and that's the way it looked for the, the, the Oilers when they had when they were winning five cups back in the day, and the Islanders when they won four straight, and you know the Penguins when they were winning and still winning. Some would say, I mean, it's it's those are the models, and those are the teams you look you look to knock off or you look to model your team after. And I think fans either love or hate that. Um, I guess now that you put it that way, now that you kind of put it out there. I like that. I like seeing other teams try to trying to aspire to get to that level and be that model franchise. And people always said, you know, in the nineties, it was, Oh, well, the, the Red Wings are the model franchise. The Red Wings are the, then it turned into, Oh, the Penguins are the model franchise. Then it turned into, Oh, the Blackhawks are the model franchise. The Kings are the model franchise. You know what I mean? So I, I, I kind of like that. I kind of like, like you said, having those teams to model yourself after that other teams are saying, we want to be like that team. We're going to, we're going to base this team on being big and hard to play against and heavy in the corners and heavy along the wall. And now it's more of a speed game and, and can you score and do you get good goaltending? And I like that. I like having those teams that are, that are there at the top for many years. Well, I think um, I'm going to put my geek hat on for a second here Yeah, and, uh, and I'm going to try and make it, I'm going to try and use wrestling as a bridge between 
the rules of geekdom and sports fandom. And you can tell me if I go off course here, because I, I think you're a wrestling fan, right? I am, absolutely. Okay, so wrestling is a controlled, quote-unquote, sport, right? Like, it's not, it's, it. there are storylines. Mm-hmm. That are that are crafted by people that are not the the participants. W- one of the things, and I think you can see this with Gary Batman perfectly. One of the things that that defines a pop culture um, property, whether it's Star Wars or you know the Marvel movies now, or James Bond movies, or Harry Potter, or anything like that, the villain defines the franchise right everybody knows darth vader if if luke sky well you wouldn't know because you haven't seen star wars dave you're killing me here but but um <laughs> but you've seen the james bond movies right no not one what, <laughs> what? Yep. oh you're killing me all right <clears throat> okay uh when hot when uh, i wish i knew more about wrestling when wrestling turns players into heels, right? Yes. And people go crazy for it, right? Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Gary Bettman gets booed every year, every time he turns up for no good reason other than he's the villain and we boo the villain. And to me, I feel like the NHL, and I understand the impulse, but I feel like they're trying to turn the league into a league full of heroes. Because everybody's got social media, every team's got one guy, contracts are getting shorter, you know, players are moving more, and so it doesn't really aid your marketing campaign if you if you acknowledge villains. It's much easier to say, well, these are our heroes. But I think the reality is, as a sports fan, we thrive off of villains. I couldn't hear the song Chelsea Dagger for like five years without, you know, without my eye twitching and my shoulders hunching up because it felt like it, the Chicago Blackhawks had just scored another goal. Um, I think sports thrives on villains and, and I think villains are, are created through dynasties. So that's, that's my final pitch on that one. Well, the villains are few and far between these days, other than say Gary Bettman, or maybe I would go so far as to say, Brad Marchand with the Boston Bruins. Yeah, he's, I mean there aren't, he's definitely there aren't a villain. More villains in the game, right? I mean, yeah. if you look at, there aren't many bad guys in the game today. And I'm not calling Marchand a bad guy, but I'm, you know, I'm saying bad guy in quotes. Bad guy like no, no, he's a bad the guy, guy you can pick yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just the guy that people either love if you're a Bruins fan, or you love to hate if you're anyone but a Bruins fan, right? So I think. It's like him and Gary Bettman, and then there's everyone else. And and you've got very few heroes. You've got your Sidney Crosby's, and you've got your Alex Ovechkin's. But that's got a perfect example. People hate Ovechkin yeah. and Dowdy and Crosby. Or you love them. But outside of those cities, like, I mean, you Google Drew Dowdy on a Kings game night and, and try and, and filter out all the Kings fans. People do not like Drew Dowdy. <laughs> um, right. And I mean, and like I said, look, I'm I'm probably wrong about this. The game has grown in revenue by I don't know three billion dollars or something like that since the introduction of social media and all of these things. And look, gritty was obviously a huge success. So I, I'm probably totally wrong on this, and I'm probably just a relic of a bygone era. But um, you know, I miss villains. <laughs> hey, listen, the, some of the best villains were. Back in the '80s and, and the '90s, and the the uh, Claude Lemieux oh. and the Dave Semenko's, and right, I mean, 
Even a guy was, like Brian Marshmont, who used to drive me up a wall. like Right. Mm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think those days are, and those players are few and far between. A lot of that, I think, has to do with the, the fighting in hockey, which we won't get yeah. into today, but or the lack the lack of fighting in hockey. But some of the physicality in hockey, yeah, uh, I think that's been taken away, and some of the some of the villains have been taken away because of that. And honestly, probably for the better. Like, I don't want a bunch of guys walking around with brain damage for the rest of their life. Right. Um, right. That's a good point. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up, Dave. I want to thank you as always for joining me. Of course, Jesse. Thank you. And and can I just say to close out? Uh, Thank you to the fan who, after our last podcast, I had said that I hadn't seen any of the Star uh, Star Wars <laughs> uh, videos. Uh-huh. And a fan came down to me at Staples Center before one of the games, and he handed me three a, a box set. I guess, is it a wow. trilogy? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, he handed me a brand new box set still in the shrink wrap wow. of episodes four, five, and six. Would that make sense? Those are the ones you got to watch. Right. And he said, here, have this watch these. And I said, thank you. So to that fan, I don't know who it was. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. And as soon as I have time, I swear to you, I'm going to watch those. I'm going to make a point to watch those star Wars videos, the trilogy. I'm actually excited to sit down and watch them. So thank you once again, smash cut to you resting a beer on top of one of the DVDs as a, as a coaster. (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. That would be great. All right. Well, uh, so thank you to that unknown Kings fan. Thanks to Dave Joseph. My name is Jesse Cohen. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.